So we're continuing our series, This Is Us, and we began by each of us kind of sharing our testimony, our journey, where we came from. And one, I think somebody said to me, man, you guys are just a bunch of broken, common people. Yeah, that really is true. I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said, God must have loved common people because he made so many of us. You know, the truth is we're all just common, ordinary folks. Most of us have come from a broken background, if you will. And so, again, we got the chance to share our testimony. And last week, Norm and Bob did a great job talking about this is us, our mission. And literally around the corner, around the world, this church is involved in missions. Literally, we're a mission base for around the world. I said in the other two services, I believe this is the most giving church ever. You have a heart to give, whether it's to help someone across the street or around the world. And that really is awesome and exciting to be a part of. And so today we're going to begin kind of the final phase of that This Is Us series. We talked about our story, our mission, and we're going to begin talking about our seven foundational, our core beliefs. Every church has some foundational beliefs. And people will ask me, what are the basic beliefs of your church? Well, we're going to go through those seven foundational beliefs. There are other things that are important as well, but we're going to go through these. A foundation, I'm a city boy. I did not grow up building. So if you're going to build a shed, do not call me, all right? I don't mind. I could be a gopher and help somebody, but you would not want me to be the architect building that building. But foundations are important. I think we all know that. This was just kind of Googled. The foundation must be able to withstand both the dead and live loads without buckling or cracking. Any issues with the foundation can harm the house, and I put church as well, making it unsafe to live or worship in. A strong and sturdy foundation, therefore, is key to a long-lasting, dependable home or church. Every church has to have a foundation. Every home has to have a foundation. And when you don't have that foundation, ultimately, your building will collapse. Got some pictures here of some houses that didn't have a good foundation. All right? Obviously, it is true, no matter how beautiful the top of the building is, if you don't have a solid foundation, that building is going to collapse. And that's true of churches. By the way, you can go to churches literally around the country and around the world who were once thriving, strong churches that now sit empty because they did not have a proper foundation. And so having a foundation is important. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about our foundational core beliefs. I want to just give you a little bit of history. Back in 1917 is when our church was established about a mile or so up the road. If you cross the railroad tracks and go to the second street and make a left, it looks like a driveway, but there's a little bitty road there. How many of you have been to this building? Now, if you drive up there, it's actually a coffee shop. They make coffee up there. But one of the things I like, they were originally going to use our original building, but it was not safe to build. It kind of deteriorated. So they rebuilt the building the exact same size, and they took the cornerstone out of this building, and they put it on their building. So if you go up to that coffee shop, and you look on the front of the church, they have our cornerstone on the front of their building. I thought that was pretty amazing. So I went in and talked to the folks. They were very very gracious. Then in 1950, we moved right up here on Highway M, which was about 
two-tenths of a mile from their original building. And so this is the building that still exists right up on Highway M on the right. Anybody here been at that building? All right, I've been by it a little bit, but I was not privileged to be here when that was built. But then in 1992, this current building was dedicated. And this is actually the picture of the current and former members who were at the dedication service back in 1992. Now, we came in 1994. We came a year after they officially moved in. But uh, anybody here that was a part of this picture here, you were part of the uh, original core. Anybody? All right, see a couple hands. Anybody else? All right, several hands here. All right, so appreciate this core of folks back in 1992. So more of a current look at is this. Now, I photoshopped a really nice parking lot with a really nice defined lines out there. All right, but anyway, it kind of looks something like this. And if you were to kind of take away, if we could peel away the parking lot and look at the core of our church, what is the core values of our church? Because it really is important. You know, people have said to me over the years, it's not important what you believe as long as you believe. That's wrong. That's very wrong. What you believe is really important. And so people will ask, what are our core values? And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at those core values. I want to just lay out an overview of that. First of all, the bedrock core foundation is loving God and loving people. And we're going to talk about that today. I want to say without that core value, ultimately a church will not succeed. So loving God, loving people is absolutely the most important core value. And then next week we're going to talk about the family because I believe God established the family. And I'm just giving you my thoughts. I believe the family is more important than the church. I believe if we're not having our family as a priority in our life. If there's trouble at home, the ministry will collapse. I'm just telling you. You cannot discard your family and expect to thrive in ministry. So we're going to talk about how important the family is. And then the last five, we're just going to kind of put them up here and they could be in different orders. But I believe that corporate worship is important. God designed this thing for us to come together and worship. I love what someone taught me when I was a young pastor. They said, corporate worship is really a reflection of our private worship. I like that. Because if you're not worshiping God individually, then corporate worship won't mean much to you. But if we're worshiping God individually and then we come together to worship, that makes an alive worship service. And then I believe the Bible is obviously a core value. We need to learn to grow in God's Word. We need to be a part of a small group Bible study. If you're not plugged into a small group Bible study, it could be at home. It could be at work. I mean, there could be a Bible study. It's really anywhere and everywhere, but every believer needs to be plugged into a Bible study because that's how we grow. That's how we sharpen each other in God's Word. And I again want to say, and maybe I'm partial, but this church has some of the greatest Bible study teachers anywhere. We have some amazing small group Bible studies. And so you guys, I want to encourage you to get plugged in. And then I'm going to have the privilege of talking about giving. Giving is one of those things we don't like to talk about. But I just want to say it changed my life. Maybe more than any other subject was a subject to giving. And we're going to talk about that. I love how the Bible says in Malachi, God challenges the people to give. And he says, if you do, if you'll trust me, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing 
you cannot receive. It's not through hoarding, but through giving. And one of the reasons I think God has blessed our church is because we are a very giving church. And so we're going to talk about that. By the way, that Sunday you can leave your wallets at home because we're not going to take any extra offerings, all right? But I just want to share part of my journey and how that's changed my life. Every believer needs to be plugged into some kind of a ministry. God intended for Christianity not to be a spectator, but a participator type event. So hopefully you're plugged into some kind of a ministry. And then ultimately we all want to be a witness for the Lord. By the way, loving God, if we're loving God, all these other things will fall into place. If you're truly loving God first, you're going to be the best spouse that you can be. If you're truly loving God, you're going to love his children. It's going to be true. I mean, you cannot love God without loving his children. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I love God. I just know it's those people I just can't stand. And I've even had people not like the pastor. I remember my first church, there was a couple, we only had 26 coming, 26. And two of them didn't like me, at least two that I know of. And they wanted to let me know they didn't like me. How many of you find it amazing that people don't like you? I didn't know why. But you know, he'd, he'd shake his watch, and I'd be up there preaching my heart out, and he'd be going, no way. You know, the Bible says what we need it. No. How many of you know that can distract you? Of course, I said to God, God, if we could just get rid of those two people, we could have revival. That's honest. And, and so there came a time they moved. Praise God. The very next Sunday, two more couples joined that were just like them. So here's what God said to me. It's, it's not those people. The problem is me. I'm telling you, the most hard-headed person I've ever had to deal with is me. That really is true. So we're going to be talking about these seven foundations, and we're going to look at uh, loving God, loving people. Because if we were to ask, what is the main thing of a church? You say, why would that be the bedrock? Why would that be the most important thing? Because that's what Jesus said. And so we're going to look today, you know, if we were to stop 100 Christians out on the street and say, what is the most important thing about Christianity? Some would say worship, that's the most important thing, and it's really important. Some would say the family, and that's really important. Some would say witnessing, and that's very important. But I just want to say, I want to look back at what Jesus said, because a lawyer approached Jesus, and he asked Jesus, what is the main thing? I am so glad he asked Jesus, because we all ask ourselves, what is the main thing? And so let's look at that passage in Matthew chapter 22. All right, I'm waiting for my clicker to work here. I think it just came on. All right, there we go. So Matthew 22, a lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, what is the main thing? And so obviously they didn't have the New Testament then, but he's saying, what's the most important thing in the Torah? What, what, what is the Bible all about? And let's see how Jesus responded. A lawyer asked Jesus, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? What is the main thing? That's what he was asking Jesus. What a great question. What is the main thing? And he's asking the right person. He's asking God. God, what is the main thing in Scripture? Let's all read his response. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
And he went on to say this, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. So Jesus said, literally, if you were to take Scripture and somehow eat Scripture and it was to affect your life, you would find yourself doing two things. You would be loving God and loving people. The whole Scripture is about a love relationship with God and a love relationship with people. And again, that's what Jesus said. And by the way, if you think about the Ten Commandments, they're kind of the negative of that. Because if you love God, you're not going to take his name in vain. If you love God, you're going to honor the Sabbath. If you love God and you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from your neighbor. You know, really, all the Ten Commandments are, are the negative of loving God and loving people. And when a person really falls in love with God, they will love the body of Christ. I remember when I was 19 years old, and even though I grew up in church, I usually never wanted to go to church. I was bored with church. I didn't really like going. But when I was 19 and just really gave my heart and life fresh to God, I just wanted to be at church. I can't remember anything the pastor preached. I can't remember anything about the music. I just knew I wanted to be there. And you show me somebody in love with God, I will show you somebody that wants to be around God's children. Even though we're a mess, even though we're a work in progress, there's something about loving God and loving people that you cannot separate at all. The word love there, most of you are familiar, the most commonly used Greek word of, for love in the New Testament is agape, and it's a kind of love that's unconditional, non-partial, and sacrificial. It's a love where God says, I love you no matter what. It's not conditional on our performance or us doing something. His love for us is unconditional. You know, when you can experience the love of God several years ago, and I would have said all my life, yeah, I know God loves me. If I were to ask everybody or every Christian, do you believe God loves you? Yeah, I know. Yeah, God loves me. It says he has to. And then I'll turn around and say, well, does God like you? He doesn't really like me, but he loves me. And if I can just get to a certain point, even in ministry, I used to think if I could just get there, wherever there is, if I could just get there, God will love me. If I can just do enough stuff, if I can perform enough, if I can put in enough hours, if I can just get rid of all this clutter in my life, if I can just get there, God will love me. I'm telling you, that's not true. Most of us are striving to earn God's love when his love is unconditional. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. He didn't wait for you to clean up your life before giving his life. He loved us while we were still sinners. Maybe the verse we love to quote more than any other verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, he gave. I want to tell you, God loves you unconditionally as you are, not as you should be. And that's a saying, several years ago, this saying really changed my life. I heard it from a Catholic priest, by the way, who was full of Jesus. How many of you know a Catholic can be full of Jesus? A Baptist can be half dead. But this Catholic priest, his life was changed by the love of God. And I've listened to this guy, and just he just oozes with Jesus. And he would say over and over, God loves you as you are and not as you should be because you're never going to be as you should be. 
I want to tell you, if you just think about that, God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because the truth is we're never going to be as we should be. I'm 67 years old, been in ministry 47 years. How many of you think I should have arrived by now? The truth is, I'm just being honest, I have as much clutter in my life now, as much battle in my life as I've ever had. And if you wait till you get there, wherever there is, if you wait till you get everything together to to be loved by God, you're never going to enjoy God on this side. You've got to know that he loves you unconditionally as you are in the process, Yeah, you're a work in progress. And anytime you think a pastor has it all together, just talk to the pastor's wife and kids. I'm telling you, I hang around pastors. We're a mess. But God loves you in the process. That's so important to know every day you get up, he loves you unconditionally. In the process of becoming more like Jesus, he could not love you more, nor could he love you less. He loves you unconditionally, not based on your performance but based on his love. I kind of jam these pictures of red in every once in a while, and so I'm going to jam a picture of red in. By the way, up here on the, on the heart there, I put my name up here, and you can write your name. So while I'm a work in progress, God loves me every day. And I'm telling you, it will change your life if you can receive that unconditional love. It really will change you that he loves you 100%. And so I love uh, being able, this was when Rhett, when he was very, very small, he's 20, almost 21 months old now. It's funny, when you're young, you go by how many months? 21 months, he's one and three quarters. And that happens too when you get old. I'm 66 and four and three quarters. You know, we start going back to those months and counting them because they're all, they're all pretty precious. But you know, Rhett, uh, just to talk about Rhett for a minute, and by the way, being a grandparent is pretty phenomenal. I love being a dad. Had two of the, the greatest kids on the planet. But when you're, having, when you're raising kids, you really don't know what you're doing, and you don't always appreciate it. But when grandkids come along, you get to really back off and just somehow begin to realize you can love on them, fill them with sugar, and send them home. Amen. Praise God. But old Rhett there, you know, I, I just want to say that Rhett so far, he's 21 months old. He's never added $1 to our family fund. He's never, he's never helped with the chores. He's created chores. How many of you know when you get near that two, they become kind of like a tornado. They just kind of going through, grabbing doors, opening things, and just moving things. I don't know how many times he's taken my phone, hit it under the, under the cushion, threw it in the trash can, whatever. Just He's just having fun. But you know, I, there's never a day that Rick gets up, never a day that I do not love him 100%. You know, if Rhett were to come to me and say, Papa, I want to try harder. I want to earn some money so I can earn your love. He couldn't. There's nothing he could do to make me love him more. There's nothing he could do to make me love him less. Matter of fact, I got to babysit him yesterday for, it was supposed to be an hour, ended up being three hours. But anyway, I, I, my wife gets to, Brenda gets to watch him a couple days a week. She's a phenomenal uh, my wife's phenomenal. But I got to watch him two hours, and they always, you know, they're not sure if they can leave him with me. <laughs> but before, before Courtney left, she says, I'm going to change his diaper. 
I'm going to change this diaper before I leave. I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> so anyway, I have changed a lot of diapers. I've changed a lot of diapers. And so she left about 9.30 and 10 o'clock, he had an explosion. <laughs> so I had to make a grandparent decision. Do I change his diaper or do I wait for her to get back? <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. So we, we went back. I wasn't excited about it, you know. But anyway, as I take him back there, lay him on the changing station, and he just looks up smiling. <laughs> and so we started changing the diaper, and then there's just no way to get in there without a snorkel and gloves. But you get in there, and, you know, he's just looking up smiling. And I said to him, buddy, I sure do love you. So we got all that worked out, and it, I don't know, I, I, I think I got the diaper on correctly. Got him all changed, got his, got his pant back on. We went back in to play, and about an hour later, number two, <laughs> really? He's testing my love. Now, I don't know how you're supposed to check. I did not stick my hand down. I, did, I peaked. I don't know what the proper protocol, but we took him back in. An hour later, number two, a bigger explosion. He just smiling. I said, man, I sure do love you, buddy. I could not love Red any more or any less. And I'm going to tell you, even though you have some struggles in your life, you have some difficulty. I remember when Red started walking, he would walk a couple and fall. I didn't scold him. Can't you walk yet? Pick him up and love on him. Can I tell you, God knows when you stumble and fall, it's okay. God knows you're battling things, and it's okay. He loves you as you are, not as you should be. And if you can receive that, it will change your life to know that you do not have to perform for God's love. He gives it unconditionally as you are. And again, if you can receive that, you'll begin to offer grace to other people because you realize they too are a work in progress, but we can love them even though they have some things they're working on in their life. Really, really important. I love to be around children. Every once in a while, I share some thoughts from children. I think it was Art Linkler that said, children are funny because they don't know what they're saying. Old people are funny because we don't care what we're saying. But they asked children about love, and some of them, these are four to eight-year-olds. Carl, age five, says, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne, and they go out and smell each other. How many of you remember those first dates? I mean, it, it, it could gag you in the car, but I mean, we want to smell good. I love that. Susan, age five, said, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's puppy love there. Mark, age six, says, love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> I don't know. I have any idea where he got that image, all right? But anyway... I kind of debated, should I put that into a Sunday morning? Yeah, they're family, they're family. So Jessica, age eight, said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. That's really good. Three more, I think. Emily, age eight, said, love is when you kiss all the time, and then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together, and you talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. <laughs> Only from the mind of a child. Tommy, age six, says, Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. That's good, man. I love that. 
And then Nikki 8.6 says, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. You need to write that down. That's good. You know, the Bible says we're even to love our enemies. I hate that verse in the flesh. I, I wish I could cut that one out. Because sometimes there's people, how many of you know God puts people in your life to rub you the wrong way? Are all the world's worst drivers are always right in front of me? But the Bible says we even got to love our enemies. You know, when you experience the love of God, you will love with God's love for everyone. I'm just telling you, pastors are the worst. We get so busy performing and so busy telling everybody else, do more, do more, do more. We're so much in the doing phase, we forgot to enjoy God. We forgot to slow down and experience the love of God. You showed me somebody really in love with God, and I'll tell you somebody who, who wants to serve God. You don't have to beg them. They want to serve the body. You show me somebody in love with God, I'll show you somebody that, that wants to share about Jesus everywhere they go. How many of you know when you're truly in love, you want to talk about that person? Have you ever been around somebody who just fell in love? And they say, hey, you want to see a picture of them? Not really, but you do the Christian thing and say, yeah. They pull out their billfold and about 30 pictures. You know, when you really fall in love with God, you want to tell people about him. Matter of fact, if you read through the Gospels, every time people encountered Jesus, even when he told them not to say anything because he didn't want things stirred up, but every time they encountered Jesus, every single time they went out and they shared. They couldn't help it. And when you really fall in love with God, it just spills out of your life because you want other people to experience the love of God as well. You know, when God created Adam and Eve, I say this quite often, he created Adam and Eve on the sixth day. We were the last of God's creation. By the way, virtually everything God created was through the spoken word. He said, let there be, and there was, and God said it is good. But when he made Adam and Eve, he created us. He put a little bit of elbow grease on it. But after he made Adam and he saw that Adam was alone, for the first time, God said, it is not good. Every time he created something, he said, it is good. But when he made Adam, he said, it is not good. Now, I had a lady tell me that God created Adam, and he said, I can do better, and made Eve. <laughs> now, I would not totally disagree with that. But he knew that it wasn't good for man to be alone, that we needed a, a helpmate, and he created woman. But man was his creation. And he created Adam and Eve on the sixth day. He, we were the last of his creation. And I think there's a reason for that. I think if he would have created us on the first day, we would have taken credit for creation. But he created us the very last thing. And so on the sixth day after he created Adam and Eve, their very first full day on earth was the seventh day or the Sabbath. So the very first day, the very first full day on earth, you know what they got to do? Nothing. But sit and enjoy God. Can I tell you, we need to learn to slow down and enjoy God. We need to learn to slow down and just to develop that love relationship with God. So vitally important. Let me give you an example. In Revelation 22, as we went through the book of Revelation, when Jesus gave the letter to the church at Ephesus, I believe, my opinion is, Ephesus was probably maybe the greatest church that's ever existed. 
The Apostle Paul spent three years in Ephesus helping plant and build the church. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul given three years? And then we know that Timothy pastored in Ephesus. When Paul wrote First and Second Timothy in our Bible, he sent them to Timothy while he was pastoring this church. And John himself, John the Apostle, lived in Ephesus, and he was a part of that church. And if John was a member of that church, I believe the mother of Jesus was also a member of that church. Because you remember on the cross before Jesus died, he said to John, behold your mother, talking about his mother, and he said to his mother, behold your son. And the Bible says from that day, John took Jesus' mother into his home. So if he lived in Ephesus, I believe Mary lived in Ephesus. By the way, if you go there today, they have a home in Ephesus called Mary's house. Now, I don't know if that was actually her house. But how cool would it be to have the mother of Jesus in your church? Can you imagine having a question about Jesus? I wouldn't go talk to the preacher. I'd go down to adult four women and, Mary, come here. This was an amazing church. Jesus commended the church. Man, they were hitting on every cylinder. 99% of what they were doing, they were killing it for God. And he commends the church for everything they were doing right. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. You have persevered in patience and have labored for my namesake and not become weary. He says, you guys are amazing. You're killing it. You're doing it to the point of exhaustion. But he said, the one thing I have against you, you've left your first love. Now, he didn't say they didn't love him, but they've left that first love, that honeymoon love. How many of you can recognize a couple in a restaurant when they're in their honeymoon love? Think back. I mean, I tell you, when you see a couple in a restaurant that's in honeymoon love, it is sickening. It's sickening. It's hard to eat. They just goo and gow over each other. They, they don't even hardly look at their food. They sit at each other and just drool. And then when they leave, it looks like a two-headed driver driving around the road. Jesus said to this church, in all of your going and all of your busyness, the first thing to go was that intimate, passionate love for God. Because Jesus said that is the main thing. The main thing is loving God, loving people. And here was a church doing everything right. I mean, they were literally doing everything right. But the first thing to slip was their relationship, that honeymoon love. And Jesus said, if you don't get this one thing right, I'm going to remove your witness. That surprised me. They could be doing all that right, but Jesus said, if you don't get that one thing straightened out, I'm going to remove your witness. Kind of sounds like that loving God is the most important thing to God. So I just want to say, if it can happen to the church at Ephesus, trust me, it can happen to any church or any believer that we get so busy. And I struggle with this. Can I tell you, I struggle. Sometimes I get so busy doing so much, and there's so much going on, and we can get so busy with good things that we miss out on the best. I'm telling you, to learn to love God and have that passion for God is so vitally important. I love to be around a new Christian that doesn't know how they're supposed to act. They just love Jesus. 
so vitally important. By the way, this is a modern-day picture of the church at Ephesus. They didn't make it. As great as this church was, they ultimately collapsed because they were so busy serving God, they lost their love for God. I'm just telling you, it can happen. I struggle. I'm telling you, it's probably one of my greatest struggles is keeping that love relationship with God, number one. I want to close with this last verse here, Matthew chapter 7. This, to me, is maybe the saddest verse in the Bible. There's a lot of sad verses. This is probably the saddest to me. So Jesus is speaking. He says, many will say to me in that day, talking about the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. I can't think of anything sadder than serving God your whole life and then getting to the judgment day and realize you never really knew God. I can't think of anything sadder than that. I want to close with a story relating to that. We used to do a thing every year called a heaven and hell skit. We would have hell over on this side. We'd have a couple people that dressed up like demons. We'd have heaven over here. We had a couple people dressed up like angels. We had a big podium in the middle with a white cloth, and I had a good friend of mine who's uh, very much into drama, and he played Peter. Now, again, we're just kind of role-playing this, and, and different scenarios that people would die, maybe a family would die in a car accident, they would all come together, and almost every situation, some made it to heaven and some didn't. I'm telling you, it's heart-wrenching when you realize that families are going to be separated. Some are going to make it, some are not going to make it. And it kind of demonstrated that. But one of, the, one of them that stand out in my mind the most, Steve Walsh played a business person that was really, really involved in church his whole life. And he came in with a suit and tie. He had a big briefcase full of his good works. He opened it up and it just fell down. He talked about, all oh, he had served God and he had been faithful to God. And he had sat through so many dry sermons at Villa Ridge. And he was just knowing God had a big mansion for him. And Peter said, well, we are expecting you today. But he said, as he looked through the book of life, he said, your name's not here. And Steve said, you got to be wrong. There's got to be something wrong. I've given all this money. I've given all this time. I've done all these deeds. I've got to be there. There's something wrong. You need to call God and tell him something is wrong. So Peter picked up the phone. Like he was calling God, yes, sir, they believe there's a mistake here. This guy tells me all he's done for you and he's given to you and your minutes. He says, and then he says, oh, okay, Lord, I'll tell him. So he said, well, what did he say? Because it's obvious something wrong. What did God say? And the scene ends with Peter saying to him, God said he never knew you. And they took him to hell. I'm telling you, I can't think of anything sadder than for people to serve a God they do not know. That would be so sad. That's why Jesus said the main thing is loving God. I just want to tell you, over the years, I've beat up people. I've, I've preached works, works, performance, performance. I forgot to talk about the love of God. It is the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. 
And if we don't have that as our bedrock foundation, I'm just telling you, everything else will ultimately fail. The church at Ephesus is a great example of that. 